Hey guys, I'm back with another episode, and today we have a guest. His name is Rocky Ferenberg. He, uh, uh, we're going to talk about some nerd stuff and liberty. <laughs> For sure. So uh, why don't you tell him a little bit about yourself, and we'll go from there. So uh, my name is Rocky, and I... Uh, uh, I'm kind of a big nerd. I'm a big geek. I'm, uh, I study economics and I'm working on my master's degree in, uh, economics in college and, uh, big time comic book collector nerd. Um, I spent a little bit of time, uh, incarcerated in the prison system. I've been on some other podcasts talking about my experiences in, uh, the, the drug world and, uh, the prison system. So I also ran for state legislature in Idaho, uh, about a, almost two years ago now and um yeah just pretty much a another uh libertarian out there trying to uh make his way all right all right so uh i think we'll just well how i like to ask my guests how they got involved in liberty in the libertarian liberty movement so well well, back back whenever I was in high school, um, uh, getting high with a couple people and stuff that that was a uh, a thing that a lot of other people were into, and and kind of the the libertarianism in a nutshell that I uh, was kind of introduced to was uh, we just basically we want to leave people alone and we want to be left alone. Which uh, growing up in in Alaska, that's that's pretty popular thought is you know I just want to be left alone. Um, but I never really gave it, gave it or politics much thought because I was too busy getting high and stuff. So, um, but once I got out of, uh, prison this last time, I really wanted to kind of evaluate what, uh, kind of what my moral compass was. And so in order to do so, I believe that you have to really nail down your uh, religious belief system and your political belief system. So, I kind of went through and really dug deep into a lot of different um, uh, religions and political ideologies. And um, it, you know, the whole concept of uh, we shouldn't hurt people and we shouldn't take their stuff, no matter what degree you take that to, uh, just seemed to fit really well. Um, actually, the, a funny story about it was I was, um, I was still going through and, and doing a lot of reading about political ideologies during the um, 2016 election. And, um, I kind of knew what I believed, but I thought that Bernie Sanders had some okay ideas. But the problem that I actually wound up realizing was, even though I, I had this idea of like this this world where people did pool their resources or did want to help each other out, um, the the element of force was one of the big issues that I had. And so um, it was just kind of like this weird thing. And I think that's a, that is a uh, kind of a weird thing with libertarians, how they kind of they will tend to kind of lean, not necessarily socialist, but a lot of people will like the idea of socialism because they want everybody to work together and, and, and share things and, and, you know, really, you know, work together. But, um, but, you know, whenever you have that forced element to it, it definitely is, is nowhere close to the same thing as libertarianism. Right. And I mean, I think my stories. I mean, it's not similar to you at all, but the <laughs> Bernie Sanders thing is similar in the sense that 
I liked a lot of what he had to say. The problem was that I never agreed with any of his ways of getting there. Yeah. And that was the big problem with me. And, you know, I kind of, I think looking back on it, I sort of feel like if someone else that, like, I sort of supported him because Trump and Hillary were so bad. (laughs) Yeah, they were pretty awful, yeah. That, like, if, if I, if there was, even if, like, there was someone better than Gary Johnson, I would have supported. (laughs) I just feel like... (laughs) I feel like I was giving him a lot of leeway on, like, uh, I was saying, oh, the debates aren't really a place for him to lay out exactly what he wants to do and stuff like that. And then looking back on it and now seeing him in the debates now, you're like, oh, he just has no clue. And... (laughs) He does. Well, in the, the 2016 election cycles it really showed something that's, uh, that was very revealing, you know, that the two populist candidates really rose to the top. I mean, obviously, as we all know, Bernie Sanders was cheated out of the, uh, um, the nomination. But, uh, you know, you had these two, these two individuals that were very, very, uh, uh, I guess, outside of what the mainstream was on both sides. And those were the people that, that, you know, everybody wanted. So it was, uh, it was just really interesting to see, uh, see like these two extremes, like, like the people really wanted these two extremes. And I think that kind of harkens back to how people talk about how the, how divided the country is. You have some people trying to minimize it. You have some people maximizing it, but uh, whether or not it's, it's extreme or minor, uh, it, it, there's definitely an argument that the uh, country is very, very, very politically divided. Yeah, so uh, enough about serious stuff. <laughs> Let's get into uh, the stuff that sort of takes us out of the real world and gives <laughs> us a good distraction. <laughs> I can agree with that, yes. So... Uh, I guess you said you were a comic guy. What uh, are some of your, I guess, go-to comics? And do you see any uh, liberty themes in comics, I guess? Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of independent comics uh, that, that take on, take on the... Um, those types of ideas quite a bit. Um, one of my favorite comics that I've read is, uh, um, it's actually a two part trade paperback, uh, called mouse may us. And it's, um, it's actually a, like a retelling of, uh, the Nazis and, uh, the, the Jews in Germany and Poland stuff, but it's told from the perspective of mice and, um, I want to say they're pigs. Each race has a different animal associated with it. 
and it's it's a very 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 interesting comic and it's told from the perspective of a a old mouse which is an old jewish man to a younger mouse who's his son and a writer and his son is writing all this stuff out and it's kind of like uh it's almost like a, i i like the the son grows to love his dad more uh by the end of the book and it's kind of this it's got this cool kind of character arc but it's talks about like some really serious stuff and uh that was pretty uh interesting i found that one when i was looking for politically charged comics but you but if you're going to look more in the mainstream of comics like the stuff people know um i mean captain america is obviously always a good go-to for that um and captain america's character has changed drastically over the years sometimes he's a you know a hardcore statist and sometimes he's more of a anarchist you know in in different senses but I, i like how the uh, Disney has uh, portrayed Captain America in the movies. I think that he's definitely more true to uh, that more, you know, uh, anarcho uh, anarchist side of uh, uh, the Captain America comics. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think in uh, Civil War you saw Tony Stark being the sort of statist. We have, you know, we have to listen to what the government wants and Captain America going, no, Bucky's a good guy. Like, we got to stick with him. And, you know, they don't understand what's really going on. Well, in the, sort of... well and the interesting thing, I mean, whenever you're, whenever you're dealing with, like, screenwriting and stuff, I... I dabble in writing scenes and screenplays and stuff just for fun. Um, but whenever you're writing these types of movies, like a lot of times, like your, um, like your first Captain America, every single floor, it's kind of like this fish out of water story. So you take this fish and you take them out of the water and you see what, how would they react? Are, uh, uh, or at least not not the first Captain America. Really, it's the end of the f- Captain America, and then the second one. You kind of see the the adaptation of how he's dealing with life and whatnot. But um, but whenever you get to Civil War, you actually do a uh, personality swap between Tony Stark and uh, uh, Captain America. And so what you get is you get the the Rebel Tony Stark is now played by Captain America, and then you get the uh, the uh, law-abiding citizen who was Captain America, now Tony Stark. But they also still have their their qualities and their morals and their reasoning behind what they're doing. So th- that was one of the things about civil this movie Civil War that I found to be really compelling about the movie. Because the movie is drastically different from the comic book uh, series, the, the seven-part series. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really... A comic book person. I never, you know, where I grew up, there was a comic book store, like, you know, above some deli or something. <laughs> yeah. And, but for some reason, like, it all of a sudden closed down. And when I was like 10, so it wasn't really. And then there was like a convenience store that sold comics, but not many. And now all they sell is magazines. It's not, 
so for me, there's not really like, I don't know, it was never like a thing to get into comics. But, you know, I'm, I really like the movies. And, you know, I've, I've been hearing a lot of criticism lately, especially about how it's becoming very SJW, which I don't know if I just, if maybe I just don't pay attention to that stuff. I sort of disconnect and just enjoy the movie for what it is, unless it's like really blatantly obvious. But I don't know. Did you notice any of that stuff? Uh, so, so there was a lot of people that talked about um, Black Panther right before I, I saw it that were talking about how there was some there's some uh, anti-white stuff in there and there there's a couple kind of offhanded comments but nothing I don't nothing that I thought there was anything to get upset about um, and kind of the same thing with Captain Marvel Captain Marvel was really uh, it was very very it was a lot more blatantly like. Uh, girl power you you kind of knew that that's what it was going to be going into this um the thing that i really disliked about what marvel did was they took a a very very complex character which is black widow with an extremely great extremely awesome backstory and just this really complicated that's that's the way to put it is this really complicated character that you know has to deal with um being a bad guy and then turning into a good guy and like they say in the in the show or in the movies you know she has red in her ledger you know which means you know went out she did a lot of killing and so now you know dealing you know the cool the cool the cool movie for a first female character would have been a black widow movie and it would have been a very complex very deep very raw and i would have dealt with some some real life situations in that dealing with PTSD, dealing with the you know doing bad things and and coming out on the other side. I mean, it was it would have been that that's what the first Marvel female led role should have been, but it it just wasn't for whatever reason. Marvel decided to hold her back so that they can make room for Brie Larson's character. But if you look at what they're doing now, they're actually um, they've had. They're going to have Jane Foster come out as a Thor from a, I heard it was going to be from another hammer from another timeline or something like that. But love and thunder is going to see Jane Foster take over Thor, um, which I do. I do speculate that they're going to have Jane Foster and um, uh, Valkyrie hook up, link up. Cause I was hearing somebody talk about how Valkyrie is the new uh, leader of uh new Asgard and she's looking for her queen. So I don't know if those two things are going to make a connection in the movie, but then you also have she Hulk coming out and you also have, um, uh, rumors of a female Iron Man coming out and, but just a bunch of other female characters that are replacing these main characters, uh, female new Hawkeye is coming out, which is going to be a female. And all this thing is kind of leading up to, um, we saw a little teaser for it in, uh, in game, but I think that a lot of this is going to lead up to an A-Force, maybe not necessarily an A-Force or we're not calling it A-Force, you know, or a movie title. But I think that we're going to definitely see a, an all-female um, team. So 
Um, and it is kind of funny to, to allow for an all female team whenever, whenever they basically played, um, uh, black widow as, uh, the token female or, um, uh, uh, Gamora as the token female in um, guardians of the galaxy. So they always have this token female, but at the same time, uh, they can also have an all female team and there's no, there's no problems with it. So, I do think they're moving that direction, although I don't think they're doing, they're not hitting it as hard as some people make it out to be. Right. I mean, I think I saw, I mean, they're, they're coming out with the black widow movie. Yes. So I think a lot of what you were saying about the complicated backstory you'll see in that movie. I think a lot of people are speculating that it's going to be sort of her handing the baton to the next Black Widow, like sort of training the next person that we're not going to get the typical three-movie arc that we get that <laughs> we got with other people. But I think... I think that's more of a timing issue than, uh, you know, the typical, like, we're just going to sort of people want it and we don't, you know, like, we're giving people what they want. I think we saw the reason why we didn't get anything from Black Widow was because they were sort of like no one really knew who Black Widow was. And a lot of people were saying, like, why is Black Widow in there? Like, who is she? She's not even, she's just like uh, an assassin. Like, why is she with all these superheroes? And also, like, you know, you could see they picked the Avengers. The first Avengers team was pretty much their biggest characters. We had Hulk, we had Iron Man, we had Captain America, we had Thor. Those are the four biggest characters, I guess, aside from Spider-Man, yeah. which they couldn't do for other reasons. Yeah, yeah. But those are the four biggest characters, four of the five biggest characters in the Marvel Universe. And... Uh, they really just didn't have the time to tell a Black Widow, a proper Black Widow story. And after she was already introduced, they probably didn't feel the need to. And then, but, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, well, the, the, uh, by the time the Avengers movie came out, um, Iron Man was seen as more of a, a tier one superhero but when the movie came out when his solo movie came out in 2008 um at least comic wise i mean his like first appearances and stuff were his first appearance uh tells of suspense i want to say it's in the 40s 49 or something and then his uh and then his number one comic is issue number one um those were still highly sought after comics they just weren't what they are today um because before the movie came out, he was kind of more of like a second tier um, superhero, at least in the in the Marvel comic er, uh, area. But it was it was 
um, I almost said Johnny Depp. It was a uh, 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 RDJ's, you know, creation of this character Tony Stark that helped elevate, um, you know, Iron Man to stardom and 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 bring him into being more of a household name, other than you know like the Aussie song. But the funny the funny thing though is that RDJ also was in the it was a struggling actor at that time. He had gone through his drug abuse and his prison sentences and stuff, and had kind of fallen from grace. And everybody didn't want to you know didn't want to risk you know bringing him on and everything. And he came on, and the Iron Man movie lifted him up and he also lifted the character up so they kind of rose together it was kind of an interesting thing to watch yeah i mean um i guess um i was aware that iron man wasn't really uh, i guess known but you know as well known as like a captain america yeah but, I still knew who he was, so to me, that means, you know, he's above, like, a Black Panther. I don't think, yeah. you know, most people have no who had no idea who Black Panther was until they said, oh, we're coming out with the Black Panther movie. Yeah, and it's funny because Black Panther even had um, kind of a controversial, uh, it, just the title Black Panther is kind of controversial due to uh, uh, the political activist group Black Panthers. And um, uh, kind of the same thing with, um, kind of the same thing that they're going through right now with the Shang-Chi movie and trying to kind of retcon some of the stuff in there because uh, Shang-Chi's dad was called Fu Manchu, which apparently having an Asian character named Fu Manchu is considered insensitive to Asians, but having a um, uh, Asian character named Shang-Chi is not. So it's kind of funny that, like, you know, you get these two different characters that both have very, very um, Asian names, and uh, but one of them is not allowed, the other one is, so... But I kind of thought that might be a might be kind of a hard thing to get over with Black Panther, um, but I, I don't think it was in the end. Funny side note: I believe that because um, there's a lot of stuff between Jack Kirby and um, uh, Stanley, and Stanley screw Jack Kirby or this and that. There's there's Kirby enthusiasts and um, uh, Stanley enthusiasts. Uh, I, I side more with uh, Jack Kirby, but. Nevertheless, you know, to kind of sidestep the argument of it, Stan Lee, from what I understand, actually had the idea for Black Panther, but he wanted to call him something like uh, something different but similar. It was like something like Dark Cheater or Black Cheater or Night Cheater or something like that. And uh, and I believe it was Jack Kirby kind of took and retcon or not retcon, but kind of re envisioned it and came up with this this different character and, and a different name and stuff. I, some of the details about that might be a little um, blurred, but it was something along those lines. They had a totally different name calling him something cheetah. And it was, it was a, a it, black Panther was definitely rolled off the tongue a lot better than whatever the other one was. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think, yeah, I, we did a, um, when Stanley died, we did a little tribute to him, 
and in my looking, reading an article or two, I saw that he, uh, you know, when he envisioned Spider-Man and wanted to get Spider-Man off the ground, that he was met with a lot of resistance, that they didn't want that the big wigs over at Marvel didn't really think like uh, a teenage boy could be a superhero. Yeah. And Stan Lee sort of pushed his way through. And I believe at the time, like Stan Lee was on his way out. They thought like, you know, he was going to be fired or something, let go. And that Spider-Man basically saved his career, even though no one believed in Spider-Man. Yeah, I want to say that the... Uh, I th- I was thinking that the characters that, that saved his career when he was about to get fired, I wanted to say that was the Fantastic Four when they first came out. Um which was in Fantastic Four issue number one, um, but I don't. I believe I believe that the next one was Spider Man, and uh, once again, st- the rumor, as far as I've heard it, is Stan Lee had an idea for uh, a a Spider Man character and a young and Spider Man would be a young boy who had to deal with life as a young boy and being a superhero. Um, and I believe that was from what I heard, that's most of what Stanley's contribution was to it. And then you had Steve Ditko that came in and did a lot of the drawing, did a lot of the actual shaping, the um, iconic suit that we see today, which I believe, I believe it was the black suit with the, with the web wings was the first one, the not all black, but he had a, Spider-Man has like a red and blue kind of suit. And I believe originally it was red and black. But anyways, yeah, he had like the little web wings on the side so he could glide and stuff. So, but Steve Ditko was another phenomenal artist that, you know, and these two people have to work together. Your artist and your storyteller, they have to work together to create something magical. So I don't want to take anything away from Stanley. I don't want to take anything away from the artist. But together they came up with these these characters that have just, lasted through time which which is funny because i i think about i think about if somebody would do would create a character named spider-man today if it would actually take off in the same way that it did back then or like a group called fantastic four like where like one guy stretches another girl turns invisible one lights on fire and the other one's made out of rocks like like they're still coming out with these types of characters uh in comics today but it's not they just don't catch as easy. I wonder if it has something to do with people's uh, uh, imaginations just not being where they were before, possibly de- being desensitized by the you know uh, constant flow of information, or what what that might be. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't know. I think a lot of that is probably because we have. Uh, the powerhouses like Marvel and DC already have having characters like that. So it's sort of like, I don't know how uh, 
like Apple and Samsung rule the cell phone market. <laughs> and if a little startup wanted to come in, they would have to do something so much better to sort of wedge their way in. And it's sort of, I guess, the same kind of thing with a smaller comic book company that if they were going to play in the, play the same game as Marvel and DC do, that it would have to be just so much better. And I don't know if that's possible. I mean... Well, and the thing you kind of alluded to a little bit um, is that, you know, com- comic book stores are, are a dying um, industry. Um, you know, people are consuming the movies and consuming the merchandise and stuff. But as far as actual comic book stores, it, it really is dying. I mean, that was, I mean, if you look at Hastings, Hastings was a great place at least in my little uh, town a great place to go to get comics and get your subscriptions um when hastings went out of business it was the only um comic book shop in my area so now i would have to drive an hour and a half two hours to get to a comic book shop um and you know i remember being uh a kid in the uh, early 90s and uh there was a it was a it was a walk from my house but you know the the closest uh rundown mall we had had a comic book shop and an a1 cards comics and collectibles and uh, i used to go down there and and sit and hang out and, and just look at comic books and all the collectible toys and stuff they had in there and um actually as a kid though i was really i wasn't actually into marvel or dc i actually was really into dark horse comics and i liked uh, alien and predator comics those were my big big comics that i i bought a lot of and uh, it was probably because i really liked the movies and you know like the toys and stuff but i was always really into alien and predator comics yeah i mean i didn't even realize a lot of those things like Alien and Predator or or Star Wars or I mean I guess I knew I knew Dick Tracy was a comic but there are so many other movies and TV shows out there that most people have no idea that they're comics Unless it says based on a comic, you have no idea. And I think no. I think a lot of that was like helped out by uh, The Walking Dead. You see, The Walking Dead made this huge impact, and now you know, like on Amazon, you see uh, The Boys just came out on Amazon, or uh, Netflix bought uh, Millar, the uh, Millar comics, or Miller. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is. I saw something. I have a uh, on my feed. I get stuff about comics. I saw that pop up, but yeah, I when you kind of sent me over the stuff about the boys, and I remember seeing a preview for it, and I was uh, I thought it looked like a very interesting take. And whenever I did a little bit more research on it, it's actually a uh, it's actually a comic book series 
uh, the show The Boys. Is that a comic book series from, I believe the publisher is Pro Comics, P-R-O? Um, anyways, I could be wrong about that, but it, they, um, it, yeah, it's basically the same thing. It's like, what about, you know, what if there was like kind of an anti, um, kind of like an anti uh, superhero movement where these people like basically, you know, tried to go out and, uh, and fight the uh, superheroes or whatnot and, or were like mercenaries to like go out and kill them and stuff. It was kind of an interesting take. I was, I was reading a little bit about it on um, uh, online, but it, it, what I'm really curious about was because at first I was like, I thought this might not be a, um, uh, might not be a comic book. It might've just been an original concept because uh, Amazon has it up there as original series. So I would figure if they said original series, that it would be something that would be created by them, but maybe, maybe it's just, I don't, I don't know because I, when I saw Amazon original, I just thought that maybe they might've created it. So um, I think that might be a little misleading since it was. Well, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the stuff on Netflix, it's sort of, I guess originally, which I didn't even realize there were like Netflix originals and then Netflix and, like they they sort of separated their original creations and stuff they bought, you know, like stuff they bought yeah. the rights to, where they went to a film festival and bought a movie. Like yeah. they sort of separated that, and then now I think they sort of put it all together as one. So. I guess that's probably the same thing as Amazon. But from what you described of the voice, I don't think they did that at all. No, no, it, it was a comic book before it was this, this no, show. What I'm saying is I think they took like a completely different stance on the story. Oh, okay. No, maybe there's a, a second like iteration of it that is what because the show is produced by uh seth rogan and evan goldberg oh okay have you watched the series yeah yeah is it pretty good yeah it's really good i mean you know it's it reminds me of it's a, it's sort of about corruption, hmm. you know, sort of like, because it's this big corporation, which basically contracts superheroes. So they, they'll contract, they have, they have this main group of superheroes. It's like seven superheroes that are their main face of the company. And then they have other superheroes that they contract to like the Detroit police, the city of Detroit or the city of uh, Cleveland or something. And the show's about them trying to get a government contract 
so superheroes could be in the military. Hmm. And there's, but I also saw like, there's this one character who is, she grew up like very sheltered and, you know, like church going, very sheltered. She believed like everything her parents told her. And then she got to this corporation and she saw what really was going on. And she sort of had a reawakening, which sort of reminded me of like, I guess someone who believed in the two party system their whole life and believed that that's the only way to be. And then suddenly they get awakened to the libertarian or green party, the third party way of doing things. And, you know, it's, I thought like it had a couple of interesting elements to it. Well, yeah, I mean, so I think what that kind of draws on is the idea that we we only know what we've learned. And so if we haven't learned something, we don't know how to do it or we don't know anything different. And so, I mean, once again, like what's talked about all the time is that, you know, whatever's taught to people in schools, especially in like government schools, that's the only thing they know. So if they've been brought up to understand that there is just a two-party system, then even if they do hear of a third party or a fourth or fifth party, it's easy to write that off because, well, it doesn't really matter because we have a two-party system. So it really puts a damper on it. But you know, podcasts like this, podcasts like Lions of Liberty, Jason Stapleton, Tom Woods, all these other guys, that's what this stuff is out there to do. It's out there to help, not really, I don't want to say bring awareness because that's, that's a little cliche, but it's out there to be able to provide information and let people know that there are other ideas out there. And there's other ideas that not are not just superficial. They've been deeply thought about and, and worked out. And, you know, even the honest libertarians out there will, will admit that there's issues or libertarianism is not perfect. It's just, uh, it's just the most moral and consistent uh, ideology that there is. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's definitely some, problems I see within the libertarian movement, the libertarian community, there are definitely some people who, some ideas that are sort of fall, kind of falling into the tribal mentality that a lot of people don't like about the two-party system. And I just, I don't know why people that have come over to libertarianism are falling into those traps. But it just, it seems that people are, and I, I don't know. 
Well, libertarians are such nonconformists that it comes to a point where they almost don't want to conform with other libertarians. And so we begin to have us fighting amongst one another. And I'll tell you, because I write for uh, Think Liberty as well and being libertarian. And um, I don't, I get on there, I look at comments on a lot of my articles, but I've I've already made it a, a rule of mine that I don't comment. On there. I don't like people's comments. I don't get involved with the comments on my article. Um, but it's it's very <clears throat> these these people in this libertarian movement is are very very vitriolic towards one another, and they can spew some uh, just crazy hate towards each other. And really, in actuality, I mean, really, we should be on on each other's sides. I mean, minarchist, anarchist, agorist. Um, voluntarists. I mean, all these different sects of libertarianism. We should all, all be on the same side as as each other because we have more in common than we don't. And I think a lot of the infighting and even a lot of the uh, people who uh, think that you know voting is aggression. And I've heard all the arguments about it, but you know the, we can't really get a lot done because we're not we're not really all on the same page. And since we're not all on the same page, we almost spend more time fighting amongst each other than we do actually fighting the state or the two-party system. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's a perfect place. I, I think that sums up, you know, what's going on in the Libertarian Party and, I don't know, just what you see on Facebook sometimes or on Twitter, you know, why can't we just, I don't know, why can't we just see that everyone is, people in, people came to the liberty movement because they wanted to get some control back from the government and I think, I, don't, I just don't understand why people who don't want any government control at all can understand, you know, they can't see like, well, let's save our differences until we at least get a little of our, you know, what we want to do accomplished. So one of the things I tell people all the time is the type of libertarian I, I am is I, I am an anarcho-capitalist because I believe that you, I believe that if you follow the idea that we shouldn't hurt people and we shouldn't take their stuff and you follow it to the very end, it's the most logical conclusion and you agree with it, then you would be an anarcho-capitalist. But the problem is that um, burning it all down and, and shouting that or typing it on a keyboard and, you know, these things, they're just not going to, they're not going to do anything. Uh, you'll just, you'll, I mean, in the end, when government tyranny starts taking over uh, to the point where we actually have to uh, fight back, uh, you're, you're either going to have to uh, swallow your pride and join the three percenters or truck out on your own because we're not going to get anywhere just screaming that. And I, I do understand what people say whenever they're talking about how, you know, we, 
how can you work inside of a corrupt system in order to change it? Um, you know, that's what drives a lot of good cops out of, you know, uh, being on police forces. I, I work with a guy who was a cop and he stopped being a cop and started driving truck because, you know, he can't, he can't stand being in that, that, you know, corrupt system. But, but the other thing is that if we have an opportunity to, to take more of our freedom back, I, I will vote for that. I will go out and advocate for it because uh, it's important that we take anything that we can get because it wasn't taken overnight. It was all these freedoms. They were taken over the course of, of the history of America. You know, whenever we first started, we had a much more libertarian mindset, uh, at least as a country. Um, and over time we've, we've cared more and more about giving up our, our rights for safety and security. So if we can fight to take any of that back, even though it's not a hundred percent, um, pure in the anarcho-capitalist sense i'm going to work in order to try to get that stuff back or do whatever i can to help because it's more important that we get anything back than it is to to stand back and and try to act you know try to act like you're better than other people because you know maybe because you because you didn't vote and they did or whatever kind of excuse it is you know that's that's the crazy libertarian purity test that i think dave smith and um um Nick Sarwak were kind of going back and forth about. I, I didn't see it in there, um, but you know, whenever they were talking about, you know, having a crazy libertarian purity test, I think that's that's one of the big problems right there. You either have to be this specific kind, or you're just not one. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, touching on that, I I think Dave is not he. I get the sense that he definitely sees the value in getting, taking whatever you can get in the sense of, you know, getting whatever bit of liberty you can get from whether it's through bills or whatever, or just not complying in places you can. Because there are places where you can just nullify things. Yeah. But, but most of them you can't. You know, like the biggest things you can't really. Like, I, I just feel like. Yeah, you can't stop paying taxes and right. expect to not have anything bad happen. You know what I mean from this from the right. state. In fact, and in fact, you would you could probably get off on a lot lesser uh, consequences if you went out and raped a child versus if you didn't pay your taxes, which is complete garbage. Right. I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily the way I would put <laughs> it, but. But but it is. I mean, being somebody who was in the criminal justice system, they take they if if you really want to spend time um, in the criminal justice system, uh, be a drug addict or affiliated with drugs in any way, shape, or form, or uh, don't comply with the government, as in uh, don't pay your taxes, uh, speak out, you know, uh, revolt against them, anything that that threatens the state in a serious in a serious way, like having a podcast or or writing articles 
or doing these things don't threaten the state like it would if you just were evading taxes or if you try to lead a revolt against them or if you were trying to stockpile weapons. I mean, look, they did in Ruby Ridge, look what they did in uh, Waco. I mean, all these things we're all familiar with. If you threaten the state in any way, they, they will throw they will throw you in a rape cage or they will kill you. And if uh, you have anything to do with drugs, then for whatever reason, they'll, they'll throw you in a cage too. But if for some reason you, you know, you are fiddling around on kids. I, I've, I see it all the time. They, they let those guys go on probation or, you know, minimal, minimal jail time. And it's, it's insane. I just don't, I don't get how you could violate somebody, especially an innocent person and, and, you know, and basically just almost walk. But yet if you got, you know, if you got a little bit of heroin on you, uh, they're putting you up for, you know, five years, you know? So it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, you see what they're doing to people like Julian Assange, who they're basically yeah. threatening to throw him away forever if he ever steps foot in this country again. And uh, he's a guy who just published some things he got. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah, he wasn't even the one yeah. that he wasn't even the one that took him, or 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 you know. Uh, went in there and stole them or confiscated them or whatever the the term that they would want to use was he actually just released them to the public which is yeah which is insane but i mean a lot of that a lot of that is also because you know once again he poses a threat to the um to the uh, uh whole machine the whole apparatus so anybody who poses a threat is surely you know attempted to be neutralized whether it is, um, you know, which is what's funny because they'll, uh, a lot of times people will get off um, with minimal consequences if they're, uh, if they're assaulting children or something like that. But yet one of the biggest things that the state will do is that they will push somebody being a child rapist or whatever in order to try to uh, discredit them. So like on a small scale, if you're just, if your neighbor goes out and, and offends or, or molests a child, more than likely they'll get maybe a year in treatment and, you know, get kind of coddled and, Oh, well you got a problem and we got to fix it and this and that. Um, but yet if they like whatever they want to take down uh, Jeffrey Epstein or something, it's this big old charade about how, how horrible being a, uh, a pedophile or sleeping with underage girls is. So it's this crazy, you know, two faced thing that they got going on. Yeah. I, there's definitely a difference of like a penalty or punishment between or based on who's doing the crime. And mm -hmm. it's not, I mean, everyone wants, the narrative seems to be today that it's based on race, when it's really not. It's really based on who you are. Yeah. If you're a nobody, they'll throw the book at you. But if you're a somebody, they'll sort of let you off with a warning or whatever, or get you like minimal jail time or put you in a cushy situation. And it's, I mean, it's really uh, not just horrible. I mean, you see like 
what they're doing with nonviolent criminals and and the thing I always you know with any of these new laws that come out I always say to people like even if the first punishment isn't jail time if you don't comply with the fine or whatever it is, they are going to throw you in jail. Yeah. And and if you resist, you will be shot or at least hurt or injured in some way. I mean, they, they will do, they will apply force and they're not afraid to do so. Right. And I mean, look, there are, there have been many cases where, people aren't really even resisting and they die in the hands of cops and stuff. And it's just, it's like I said before, people want to make it a racial thing, but it's really not. I mean, it, well, it's happening all over. It was interesting that you brought up race. Cause I actually, I just had an article published last week uh, where I, I, take a look at um, institutional racism and whether or not it's, it's real or there's any credibility to it. And um, you know, what I, what I found from looking at uh, statistics was that um, races actually commit or are, are incarcerated at a proportional rate to their, um, uh, to their population. Now it's not, you know, 0.1% for 0.1%. I mean, there's obviously a little bit of variability in there, but what was it, it's completely interesting? What was really interesting is that, is that uh, to see that the blacks uh, have more violent crime than whites do, but whites to counterbalance it actually commit more sex offenses than, than uh, blacks do. But the very, very, very interesting thing was that I found that, uh, Native Americans actually commit far less crime than they than their population density, but they're arrested at something like three times. I think it said it was something like three times the amount of population. They're they're arrested for suspicion. So if these people are committing less crimes than their population size, and they're being arrested at a significantly higher rate for suspicion. Uh, I I would say that that if you were going to talk about any type of uh, institutional racism system, that I would lean far more closer to there being some kind of institutional racism towards um, uh, Native Americans versus you know blacks or Hispanics or whatnot. It was it was just pretty interesting digging into all that. And, and, and yeah, that's definitely interesting, and I think we're starting to see uh, you know what sort of that suspicion, arrest on suspicion sort of looks like with all these red flag laws that people are trying to pass or that the government's trying yeah. to pass. And I mean, the first thing that comes to mind with red flag laws is the movie Minority Report. Like oh, yes. sort of <laughs> what the whole thing was about, like, stop the crime before it happens yes that was a very 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 interesting movie and and anytime that i talk anytime somebody talked about uh being able to uh circumvent crime before it happens that's that's actually 
that movie is actually a phrase I use. I always tell people like, you know, you can't have minority report style policing. You, I mean, you cannot, you, if somebody has not committed a crime, you cannot charge them with a crime. That's, that's insanity. I mean, they kind of do it now, nowadays they got conspiracy charges or suspicion charges and stuff. So they, they do still kind of have it obviously not the same way that they have it in minority report, but yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because that is a movie that I, I talk about all the time and about how, how much overreach can actually happen, you know, just by letting people have that much control over you. Yeah, I I just saw something today, actually. Someone posted on Facebook about in their town, I think it was in Illinois or something, and the, the school district in their town started going through the kids' social media and to sort of, I guess, prevent, like, the next school shooting or something. And uh, they found this kid who had uh, said something about something that sounded like a suicide plea. And, uh, like, the post was a week old. And they went to the house while the kid was sleeping, dragged the kid out of bed, took the kid to a hospital, and, like, cuffed them to the bed so they wouldn't harm themselves. And the parents were like, what the hell? (laughs) So, I mean, we're... (laughs) You know, I think... I mean, I can understand, uh, you know, I I think we do need to be a little more aware of people who, especially young people who may be more vulnerable to depression or whatever, but that's definitely not the way to handle it. No. Well, and there's and there's been a there's been a lot of I mean it, there's been a lot of issues with um stuff like, like uh trying to um uh, uh, protect people from themselves and I mean that's that's a lot of the excuse that's used for stuff like uh drug uh, drug crimes and whatnot. And and even the idea of arrest somebody for committing suicide is pretty crazy. Um but yeah, I mean, we, we've we've bestowed upon the state the duty of being able to protect us from ourselves, and a lot of it comes from us, from citizens, not wanting that responsibility. I mean, if like if somebody commits suicide now, a lot of people will say, you know, where was the parents, or where were the uh, cops, or where was the person, or where was that person? Uh, you know, where it always has to be off on somebody else. It can't be the individual, you know, it was the individual's own actions. And so with that being said, you know, people try to, you know, shirk their own responsibilities and they want somebody else to handle as much stuff as they, you know, can get somebody else to handle for them. And so we, 
live in this world where we are just we will just nonchalantly just you know pass the uh, pass the buck off to somebody else just so that we don't have to deal with it and that causes a lot of these types of uh, uh laws like crazy stuff like you know we're gonna arrest you because you're getting high in your own house um or if somebody you know does attempt to commit suicide they they want to throw them in a cage now and it's 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 just it's befuddling it's it's nuts yeah and i think that's sort of the problem with a centralized way of doing things where it's sort of one size fits all model and it just doesn't work i mean you see that you see it with the schools, you know. The second the DOE was established, that started the free fall of our education. Yeah. You know, there's all kinds of examples of what happens when the government decides to take control of an industry. You know, you saw it in Venezuela with the oil industry. You see it all over the place where the government governments just can't handle things in the way that sort of the individual can because the individual or it, you know even in a small community where everyone knows each other people they know what certain people what not everyone needs what the individual needs you know you see that with like like you you see that you hear stories every now and then about like a kid who's autistic who's in like an ice cream shop or something and uh, he's freaking out and there's a cop there and the cop overreacts but in a place where everyone knew who each other was, that sort of thing wouldn't happen. And even if people didn't know everyone, you know, as long as there wasn't someone with a gun or someone with the authority to really do damage, nothing would happen with that it would get explained and everyone would go about their day yeah well i mean it's it's definitely um definitely having a more uh, um smaller communities or or being able to have communities within communities um you know where people know one another there was an interesting article that i had uh, read, and I think it might have been a satire article. This was years ago, but it was basically blaming AC air conditioning for um, for um, um, people being more isolated. And it was basically saying that you know when when you didn't have AC, people sat outside and they engaged with their neighbors because everybody's outside. The kids were outside playing, and people would you know talk and engage with one another because they would be outside because it was cooler outside than it was inside. And, uh, and then once they invented AC, people were more prone to stay inside because that's where it was cooler. And 
And like I said, I don't remember if it was a satirical article or not, but I thought it was pretty interesting. I mean, nowadays we got the internet, we got all kinds of other things that are distracting. So no matter where you're at, you can be distracted. But I thought that was pretty interesting. And it really does, at least whenever you start to look at these little things, those types of things are what contributes to being more disconnected from the people around us and from just from our community as a whole. We weren't. Yeah. We weren't gonna get. We weren't gonna get all uh, serious. Remember? <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess that sort of thing happens with uh, libertarians. I guess yeah. you sort of go off in tangents and <laughs> never get back to what you were talking. <laughs> no, I just realized that I was like, oh, we're supposed to be having a. Uh, I was like, man, I'm feeling really down all of a sudden. I was like, wait, we're supposed to be talking about comic books and fun loving nerdy stuff and here we are talking about how oppressive the state is it always comes back to that i'm sure my wife hates it you know yeah so uh well let's get back to that i guess (laughs) so uh what uh anything else like good comics or Actually, did you see uh, Marvel and Sony worked out their issues with Spider-Man? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, apparently, hopefully this isn't a a switch around like they did before because there was kind of this back and forth thing. And, and, you know, that can be – that whole deal can be pretty convoluted between the two um because you now because you also have the spider-man in the spider-verse with venom and stuff but now he's but he's also in the marvel universe over there um it's it it could be pretty pretty uh pretty hairy situation but there wasn't there's not a spider-man movie on next docket so um it's not like they had to work anything out too too quickly because you know there's there's nothing coming up with it unless they put him in as a cameo somewhere or supporting role but either way um i am happy as long as this is what it says it is i'm happy that they figured something out because tom holland and spider-man um in the mcu is is been the best uh iteration of the character and i think the most honest portrayal of what the character was in the comics yeah, and after, uh, you know, getting two movies plus the sort of three team-up movies that Spider-Man was in, you'd hate to see him in a Sony movie without anyone. Like, it just would seem weird and everything. Yeah. And I think that's, what's, that's what it sounded like Sony was planning on. Which I I think you know I I think the whole thing was for show, and it wasn't really like because the initial story was that the original deal was Marvel got five percent of the movie box office, and they sort of sony came to the table wanted to renew the exact same deal marvel came to the table that they wanted 50 percent of 50 50 split and then sony just walked away and that just never made any sense to me like why would you 
come to the table with one offer and you know like no one does that no one come no one goes into a business negotiation and comes with their final offer that's just not how business is done no and no. and this deal it sounds like marvel is getting 25% which is basically the middle of what marvel and sony were asking for initially which you know seems perfect like why wouldn't it just i don't i don't know if it was it was probably leaked the initial offer was leaked everyone sort of let it die down and negotiate in secret and now we have a deal so i think that's sort of what's going on well and and definitely with the um with the deal i mean sony let marvel use um uh spider-man and what marvel did is marvel took and made spider-man into an actual like watchable show or watchable character and, and a relatable character and and a something that that everybody loved and he was engaging with these characters that already existed that that people already loved and 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 uh interacting in a world that marvel built you know marvel did so much for spider for sony spider-man for them to come back to the table of course they're going to come up uh uh, super high and of course they're going to want more money i mean why i mean why would they not they put they they it's it's like it's like almost if I have a store and I go, I would like to sell your product and and you give me that deal. You say, okay, well, you can have 5% off the top and your product, you know, you've never been able to get it off the ground or anything. And then I put it in my store and people come to my store and shop. And since I'm reputable, then they come and they see this product on the shelf. They start buying this product. All of a sudden your sales shoot up and your product is big. I might come back and want to renegotiate and say, hey, I want a higher cut of this because, you know, you are now benefiting greatly off of the legwork and groundwork I laid for the last 10 years, you know? So I would say that, yeah, of course the negotiations are going to come back. And to be honest, if Sony was to take uh, the Spider-Man, uh, take Tom Holland Spider-Man back over there, they might still be able to get away with some of the character traits and some of the stuff they do because Tom Holland is Tom Holland and Tom Holland worked with uh, uh, Marvel Studios. But they're not going to have the same character. They're not going to have the same writers there. I mean, Sony is Sony is the studio that brought you dancing Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, um, which was horrible. Um, so, I mean, they, they, they'll only revert back to the stuff they know, and they didn't know how to make Spider-Man successful. So, uh, you know, they need to bite the bullet and give credit where credit's to do and, and give up a little bit more than, than, uh, uh, than what they're, they were thinking they should give up because Marvel did a lot more for Sony Spider-Man than they they are probably willing to give them credit for. Right. And I, I also think that just the way the uh, far from home ended, it was sort of like sort of leading the way into the next 
phase, during the next couple of phases. And I just felt like Marvel wouldn't have done that unless they were, you know, 95% confident that a deal would have been done. You know, how careful Marvel is, it just didn't make any sense. I'll tell you one thing about Spider-Man Far From Home I liked. I was disappointed that the multiverse was not it was not made to be a real thing in um uh in there. Um however, you know, it is a real it will be a with doc with the announcement of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, multiverse is going to be a thing, but um I was actually very 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 pleased with the way they did Mysterio. And with how Mysterio, as a regular guy with no real superpowers, fought and was able to overpower Spider-Man. And they had a scene in the movie where he's basically overpowering Spider-Man. And I think it shows like what, what's really going on out there. Um, where, you know, because Spider-Man's seeing this stuff, but it's not really there. And it was really just interesting to see a character that has this, this type of power without really having any power at all. It was a uh, it was really good. I thought that their portrayal of Mysterio was 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 great. Yeah, I mean and I think that's a good place to wrap it up. So uh, you know give everyone where to find you or any plugs. <laughs> Yeah, if we uh if you guys want to uh follow all the crazy stuff I post uh that's political, uh the practical libertarian on Facebook is uh, the best place to follow me there. I, I share a lot of memes, I share my stories, any type of commentary and stuff every so often. I'm also I'm I'm in the process of writing my memoir about my drug addiction. Um and you can kind of follow that whole journey that I'm taking at um from the mind of an addict on Facebook as well. Um other than that, um I try to keep most of my stuff that I'm doing updated on uh, my webpage, which is rockyfarenberg.com. So that's about it. All right. Well, uh, as usual, you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Minds, uh, Twitter. You can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the unuseful idiots if you want to help us out or you can just go subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star rating and review it and you know that's it see you guys next time bye